0: on this episode of the James Quandall Show.
1: I don't know exactly what it takes. I'm more waiting for the opportunity to present itself and definitely pursuing it on my own. But the fact is, I'm ready to pounce. (laughs) Like, there's nothing holding me back from pursuing that. It's just waiting for the golden opportunity and then doing it.
0: When I heard David Wilson's story on the Ramsey Solutions' first feature-length documentary, Borrowed Future, I was impressed with his entrepreneurial spirit and desire to live a life that's against the grain. It's difficult to delay gratification now to achieve an even better life later, but this has become a staple of David's story. David worked hard, saved money, and graduated with a four-year degree, completely debt-free. During our conversation, we talked about what he learned pursuing this debt-free degree and how to win with money. We also went deep into a discussion of relationships— friendships, and some of our past mistakes. Thank you for listening to the show, and please enjoy this episode. I will say, we met last year in Nashville. I first heard your name in the Borrowed Future documentary that the Ramsey Solutions people put together, and I loved that documentary because I believe also that this weight that are on kids' ankles when they get out of school is basically going to handcuff them not being able to make the best decisions for themselves. They're going to basically have to make decisions based on paying that debt off versus what they were built to do and what they were made to do. And we talk all the time on this podcast of going after your dreams and connecting with your true self and achieving great things. But that's really hard to do when you have this big debt that you start having to pay as soon as you graduate.
1: In the documentary, they use that beautiful illustration of just the ball and chain on the ankle when someone graduates. And I think that is so accurate because instead of someone graduating and saying, hey, I want to go build a life, I want to get married, have a family, start saving for retirement, do meaningful work. Instead, the number one goal of students is to pay off their student loans. And that's depressing. Yeah. If you just,
0: what I found interesting, I didn't ever have student loans I went to college twice, dropped out twice, paid cash both times, never finished. But um, my wife did and my sisters did and everybody I know did. But what's interesting is if you pay the minimum, it's a 15-year loan.
1: That's A long time, at least. At least, there's people in their sixties that are still paying off their student loans. The average student loan payment is about four hundred bucks, and if that goes on for twenty years, just think how that impacts not only your lifestyle but your ability to save for a legacy, your retirement. Like four hundred dollars a month in retirement versus paying to some decision that you made when you're eighteen. Oof.
0: Think about. (laughs) I think about the positive of freeing up that four hundred dollars of cash and what you can do with it. So you're still working the same amount of hours, let's say. You're still making the same amount of money. But now you have an extra $400 to play with every single month. You could take a $1,200 vacation every 90 days and go to new places and try new things and go out to nice restaurants and buy cool clothes, like whatever you want. That's a lot of money. $400 is a lot of money. And basically, you're just giving it to someone else, and the interest keeps growing and growing it doesn't actually even seem if you just pay that minimum it doesn't seem like the total amount of money ever goes down it just feels like it like when i've looked at the tables it doesn't start to go down until like 10 years in or something crazy like that
1: yeah and people just continue to live with that and realize that this is going to be their norm for a while. So they just keep paying minimum payments. And as they go on, it's still the same amount coming off their paycheck. So they don't really realize what they're missing out on. Because when they were younger, it was said that, hey, this is a necessity to get you to that next stage of life. When in reality, that's not how it has to be.
0: And I want to get to some of the options of what you could do instead. But I just really want to understand the mindset of the borrower graduated college, got a job now and have the money to pay more than 400, but instead paying the minimum and spending that other money on other things like getting a nicer apartment or a a newer car or, or whatnot. Like how do we change? I mean, how do you change the mindset of someone to say like, Hey, pay 800 a month and don't get a nicer car right now and know that you could pay it off twice as fast and then get whatever you want, anything you could dream of.
1: That's a difficult thing to do if they can't understand just opportunity cost in general. Like what am I sacrificing now by making those larger payments for what I could have later by having that extra money freed up? And if you can frame that in a way that gets someone angry about it, makes them just ticked off at their past decisions to go and tackle this with what Dave would say is gazelle intensity, that's when people start changing their lives. Until they have that moment of, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want this chain off. They're not going to do the hard things to go above and beyond the minimum that's been asked of them for the loan period. So why didn't, You go the
0: normal route? Why did you have this idea of going through college debt free? Like, why didn't you just take out a loan like everybody else did?
1: First off, I'd say I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So, going to high school was your pretty average high school student, uh, played football, got hit in the head too many times, had to switch to soccer, band, choir, student council. Senior year, though, I met this kind of bald guy named Dave Ramsey as part of my foundations in personal finance course that I took my senior year. It was required curriculum. Prior to taking that course, I kid you not, I was ready to swan dive into student loan debt to go to the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, to get my business degree, pay for a suit, also financed by student loans, and then get that business degree and start making that bag to pay it back because that's what I thought I had to do to be successful.
0: And where did you, like where does that come from? Is it that just what everyone does? Like where do you think that, uh, like that idea, what puts
1: that in your head that that was the way to go? It just seemed so normal at the time. You know, talking to other students who were also getting ready to take out student loans, go to the university of their choice, and do these big things. No one was telling me different until I took that class and realized the implications of having debt post college and that there is a different way prior to then I hadn't heard that message. Hmm. So how how do
0: you go through college without a loan? How do you how do you finance it yourself? Like you how do you even do it?
1: Oh <laughs> You make it sound like such a simple question, but ultimately <laughs> there's a framework that i tell people to help get a debt-free degree depending on when you start if you talk to me when your child was in middle school i'd say a debt-free degree actually starts there but when you're a senior the first thing i would say is college the right choice and then from there i'd have you pick a school where you can at least cash flow the first year and then make a plan to go the rest of the year's debt-free become a financial aid expert by filling out the fafsa apply for as many outside scholarships as you can. And then while you're in college, live like a college student work, do these, all the, all these other things. And then, while you may not be successful in all those areas. The whole of those things are what leads people to a debt free degree.
0: So let's go through some of those. Um, So is the, you mentioned middle school. So some of the listeners have kids and some of the listeners are younger. And, so what do you mean by middle school? Is that, are you thinking like I have a 529 account or are you thinking that's even before that? Like what do you mean by starting in middle school?
1: Yeah, middle school is crazy to think about college because w- <laughs> I wish this was a video for the sole reason I had a giant afro when I was in middle school. And there's this picture of me with this giant afro and a, and a basketball jersey. And while I wasn't focused on my career in the NBA, that never happened. I was solely focused at that time about the high school experience. Hmm. When in reality, I want parents to talk to their kids about what interests them, what could be a future job, and then start putting them in environments to explore that interest. So when the decision comes for what you want your degree to be in, that's way easier because they started thinking about it in middle school.
0: That makes sense.
1: do. I do, do want to interrupt for one second because...
0: I think before we get too into the nitty-gritty cuz I'm really curious about this stuff and so I want to go a little bit deep. I think it's important to paint a picture of what's possible if you graduate debt-free because that's what would get you to go through this difficult, hard thing and be different than all of your peers cuz none of your peers are going to be doing this. So you're going to be different, you're going people are going to be confused of why you're doing what you're doing. They're not going to understand why you're not going out with them or why you're not doing the things they're doing. And so there has to be a clear goal in mind of what you can achieve. So like, what's the point? Like, why even Why even bother? That's
1: different for everybody. The most impactful way, I think, is just to share how it's impacted me. Uh, at 24 years old, I'd say I have unbelievable freedom with what I choose to do with my life because I'm where I'm at financially. I not only graduated with a debt-free degree, but I graduated with a fully funded 6-month emergency fund. How much and money that, was your degree? Like how much did it cost? Sticker price? Yeah, $156,000.
0: So you basically cash flowed the equivalent of 156,000. And there's scholarships yeah. and grants and other things. I get that, but
1: Yeah, let like putting the, let's put that into context. So my degree cost $157,000 with the FAFSA outside scholarships and merit scholarships that added up to $113,000. So that left $44,706 that I had to pay out of pocket. So that's what I actually had to make while I was in school.
0: And it was it four years,
1: four years. Yep. And
0: how much did you have sort of saved when you went to school to pay for like that first year? Or were you cash flowing all of it from your, your job?
1: Uh, so I did have some saved, not a significant amount. It was definitely sub $10,000. I don't remember the exact amount, though. It was not, okay. I knew I could get through year one. Year two, though, was still up in the air.
0: <laughs> so you have freedom. Freedom to do what? So you, you graduated with your degree, and, and what school did you end up going to?
1: Super small school called Wisconsin Lutheran College in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But so had a ball. Great so
0: sport. so you graduated from there, and you're debt-free. What what do you what can you do that your peers who graduated with with a, a ball and chain of debt not do?
1: Yeah, so right away after school, I went to work for this company called Epic, which is a enterprise health record. They're basically if you go to the doctors, you're probably on Epic your your medical records. Loved my job there, but ultimately, I wanted to keep working on a business that I started in school, which was this YouTube channel with my friends. So that required me to move. So not knowing necessarily my next step, I knew that I could confidently say, I'm leaving this job to go find a different job in Kansas City, Missouri, where I am now, so I can keep working on that side hustle. And well, I don't think that'll be the rest of my life at this point, the freedom to go and do that is just wild compared to being tied down because of payments. That
0: makes sense. Because if you have these payments you have to make or you default and they garnish it from your paycheck, they're going to get the money, then you can't take a chance to go and try something new because you have to pay that loan. You, you can't leave your job. You can't. You're, you're basically handcuffed to the, to the job.
1: Yeah, what I say is a debt-free degree just gives you options, and then it really sets you up to face a lot of the big challenges that life throws at you. Even when I was talking in job interviews with folks, they weren't very impressed by my degree or whatever I did in college. Well, some things, but the thing that they were most impressed by was taking on this mountain of a challenge that we call a debt-free degree and making it happen, That spoke to my ability to solve problems creatively and just the persistence as well as drive to make that happen, even though everyone else is saying no. I
0: agree 100 percent. If I was interviewing two people with similar similar qualifications, if one told me that they hustled and thought differently than everyone else and and paid for their school as they went, I would pick that person every single time because to truly win in life you have to do things different than everybody else because this is this is a sad thing to admit but you look at the statistics most people aren't happy most people are in debt most people's relationships aren't that great most people aren't in that great a physical shape most people just aren't really winning and so if you live like everyone else you aren't going to be winning either so you have to do things different but it's so hard like it had to have been difficult for you to like you, you had to turn things down that your friends were doing in school, right?
1: In some ways, yes, but in other ways, I think I had an absolutely amazing college experience. I think a debt free degree and that mindset just forced me to frame things differently. You know, rather than going to Olive Garden on a Friday night, I hit up the Wendy's four for four. It was still going out to eat with my friends, but it was much cheaper. And then realizing like, hey, this isn't as impactful on me financially. And just having that mindset overall helped make the college experience still very normal in a lot of ways, but I didn't come out with the baggage.
0: That makes sense. And when I was watching the Borrowed Future documentary, one of the things I just didn't understand, and maybe you can help me understand it, was the kids that were just in love with a specific school where it was their dream school, it was the only school they would consider and it was seventy thousand dollars a year and they wouldn't consider any other option. How like why why get so obsessed with one school? Why does that happen?
1: I think that's just a societal thing. We look at harvard we look at yale we look at duke we look at these expensive schools and equate that to a certain caliber of people but for me the cool thing about leaving school to go work at epic is i came from a small liberal arts school which i i really enjoyed my education and loved the school but i was working alongside people from harvard from yale from duke from all those schools, and you know what didn't matter when we were talking to customers or in our performance reviews, where our degree came from. That was all in the past. This was just a sheet of paper to get me in the door. And from there, your drive, your tenacity, the things that you contribute to a job are what take you to a successful career. I'd say after two years, my degree doesn't even matter. I'm not even, uh, I got a degree in marketing and management, and I'm a program manager in insurance right now. Tell me how that adds up, but that's here we super are. common,
0: isn't it? You know you got someone with a degree in finance or English or business, and they're in a sales job that actually didn't even require a degree at all right It's just uh, you just had to know people and and how to build relationships and uh, it just seems like something's got to change because I've looked at the numbers of what college will cost. By the time my future kids go through college or don't go through yeah. <laughs> college I, I mean we're talking half a million dollars for a degree and yes. what like that for what exactly uh that's that's you know ten years of wages, so are they actually gonna make that back but what I thought was really interesting was what you said about determining if you even need to go to college. Because I think that is a really important question that we need to think about. Um, because, well, for one, I'm an example of someone who didn't go to college, yet I have hired people who did go to college to work for me. And I think there's so many alternate paths to success and financial well-being that don't require a degree. So why did you say that? What 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 made you think that Maybe you don't even need
1: to go to college. I say that because looking back, I probably could have gotten away without going to college. And I loved my college experience and I loved the school, loved the teachers, and I think it was valuable. But at the end of the day, it pushed come to shove, and I knew that I couldn't get through debt free. Ultimately, I wouldn't have been, or I would, excuse me, I would have been fine. Not going and just finding a different path because now there's program management courses that you can take for $49 a month. And if you whip through that course, you can get done in one month and still get a similar job to what I have. You might not start as high because depending on experience and like I had internships and such, but. There's a lot of different ways that you can get into a career, especially because of the labor market right now. People are looking for folks that are just willing to learn and invest in, and then they can go and do the job. It's not necessarily do you have a degree or not. You can get kind of high on a ladder in four
0: years' time while your friends are at school and you're working. You can put money away, and you can start to actually learn skills in business. I always thought it was funny, like you go – to school you get a degree and then you actually learn the job you know you don't they don't teach you the job in school unless it's a trade school it's more like teaching you critical thinking skills and other things like that but um yeah i f- i i find it very interesting that how far ahead you can get in four years if you start at the bottom of a company and you prove yourself
1: yeah. And you just keep working and eventually they may just decide to invest in you for a degree. So your degree may be paid for. Heck, that's optimal. And that would be a point where, hey, they're saying you need it. So good, you're in a career that would would use it. So go get it.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. My sister is a um, program manager for an automotive company. And they sent her to get a master's in business and paid for it while she was working there. And were flexible with the ability to get that done because they just saw so much potential in her and wanted her to have more skills, and so obviously she did that, and it was free.
1: Man, that's that's the dream. They're investing in you, while paying you, and then you're getting something that'll cause you to be paid more in the long run. So,
0: <laughs> and it, it inspires yeah. loyalty, right? So if it's gonna take you know, 18 months to two years for that extra degree, you're probably not going to leave that job that's paying for your school either.
1: Yeah, that's the goal at least. Or they put the implications in place so you don't. I've, I've seen that a couple of places with like clawbacks and if you leave, you have to pay it back type thing. But hey, if you love the company and they're going to invest in you, take advantage of it. So you, you do you have these other areas where you kind
0: of go against the flow besides just what you do with your money like is there other things that you do that you just kind of look at your peer group and you kind of are standing out and you're different
1: i don't like to call it different because i i really appreciate the different areas that people bring to the table of expertise and well i know i'm good in some things I know that I'm super bad in other things. Like what? Anything artistic. Graphic design. If you saw the... Well, the podcast that I have, the Your Debt-Free Degree podcast, the cover art for that, let's just say that was my own work of art, and I think it looks like a kindergarten coloring page, (laughs) and not even a good one, like, outside the lines type thing. I just don't have an eye for it. So I know that, well, I may be good at things like project management or just being very disciplined and logical thinking. I need people to compliment me in those other ways because otherwise I don't produce a good end product without others' input. So that's one thing I I just want to preface. I'd say from my peer group, I really focus on just retirement and investing. That's something I'm prioritizing, just budgeting and having control over my money. That's something I'd say I exceed in. Uh, But then also just reading and reading and more reading. I think I've learned more reading in the past three months than I did for most of my degree just because now I'm diving into this stuff because I truly want to learn it and not because it's assigned.
0: Yeah, that's that's the secret to knowledge and wisdom is following a path of curiosity as far as it goes down the rabbit hole and just keep going and keep going. And schools they, I feel like school does a great job of introducing you to a lot of different things. Then through self study, you can go deeper into those areas. But they're not going to ever do a great job of going really, really deep in a specific area. I mean, most in general, in general situations. But there's when you're passionate about something, you just can't stop learning it. Like, like I'm obsessed right now. I've been reading uh, for the last couple of weeks. All these different productivity, time management, um, sort of mindset, uh, discipline books. Because I'm just trying to optimize my time better. And not so I can work harder, but so I can kind of almost play harder. Um, and so just have things in time buckets. And you just just read book after book after book in a specific topic. What do you, so what are you studying right now? What are you learning?
1: Right now, I'm actually learning about podcasting. I'm reading just a lot of spiritual books, too, because I realized that up into this point, a lot of that has been directed by other folks, but now the spiritual journey is actually diving into my own and reading books in in that way, Uh, and a lot about content creation, public speaking, and just understanding how to connect to people in this digital world Mm -hmm. when we're miles apart. And figuring out what's valuable because it's hard to stand out with all the noise. It is hard to to stand out. And it's hard to know
0: who you should be paying attention to and who's real because we're behind these screens and it can be deceptive sometimes.
1: Yeah. And that's where you have to really vet that for yourself. And it's so easy to not because that takes investigation, that takes work. Uh, but ultimately, that's how you prevent like, taking bad advice and running with it. So you have to do it. How do you
0: actually like, take the, what you're reading in these books and start to implement it? Because sometimes I feel like, okay, how many books on productivity do I actually need to read? I probably only need to read one. And if I just implemented everything in there, I would already be productive. Like, how, do, how do you know when it's enough and how do you implement it?
1: Well, that's the benefit of reading is you put all this information in your brain and then ultimately you make a smoothie of what works for you. (laughs) At least that's how I envision it. So while I've read books on time management, I know that me making a list and time chunking and not necessarily doing some of the more complex things like having a full outlook calendar that lays out my day type thing works for me. And then as I identify different habits that may work for me, I add that into my routine. And if it ultimately doesn't work, you cut it and you go back to the system that worked previously. It's just a, a journey of discovery, figuring out what works and then cutting, cutting the fat (laughs) and then keep going. So, and I have, I feel like
0: the, the season you're in can change what you're doing too. I mean, there's different times in your life you got to work harder. There's some times in life you have to relax a little. And there's times in life where you have to focus on other people there. And so you've got to be flexible. If you have this, this, this plan and it's calendared and it's set, you're going to be in for some disappointment because a lot of things come that you can't control.
1: Very true. I will say that at this point I'm in a unique situation where – 24 single just no responsibilities heck I don't even have a mortgage I I literally could just leave and go anywhere work remotely so that makes it more complicated because I I yearn for some of those responsibilities (laughs) to happen but right now it's just taking advantage of the single season and being able to hyper focus on things that's been super uh, valuable to just my own personal growth
0: well, so then I'm curious in before you're thirty, like let's just say you're twenty nine years old and we schedule a talk to catch up yeah. what's your life gonna look like like what's your goals?
1: Yeah, so I would love to continue spreading this message of financial freedom, helping students getting a debt free degree, whether that be through public speaking, uh coaching people, continuing to teach classes. Uh, at that point, I would hope to be married, hope to start sharing a life with somebody and growing together, because I think that's super valuable to have that companionship. I couldn't tell you where I'll end up living. <laughs> I, I have hopes, but you, you know that's all up in the air at this point. But my goal would that be spiritually. I'm more developed than I am now, uh, career-wise, I, I don't know if I'll be in insurance forever. It's it's good for this season, but if I could somehow make a career of sharing this message, that would be the ultimate goal. Hmm.
0: How would you so how would you do that? Cuz that's so 5 years isn't that long, but it's long enough to achieve a lot of goals. What does it take? You you you're kind of a numbers guy, you're a planner, you're 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 deliberate. What does it take to go from working for a company to working for yourself, basically.
1: So it takes less than you think because of the foundation I laid when I was in college. Let's just say at at this point, I can confidently stop contributing to any retirement funds or feeling that pressure to go take a big risk of, let's say, working for free for... Someone in that industry, great. I've got a great job for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't they all? They're like, Oh my gosh, you'll work for free. I'll hire you. What's your email?
0: I, we can get you a bunch of free job offers right now.
1: No. Like, send me that resume right now, buddy. I'll hire you for no resume. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I guess to be transparent, the situation of being a single person that has very limited expenses, I realized that. If I can just bum in someone's basement or bedroom for a season to gain more experience in doing those public speaking, content creation things full-time, that I can live off an insanely small amount. And that's something I'm okay with because I'd be sacrificing for the season and also not sacrificing my retirement because what I've put away already I know will make me a millionaire when I'm 65 just thanks to time and compound interest, right? So. I don't know exactly what it takes. I'm more waiting for the opportunity to present itself and definitely pursuing it on my own. But the fact is, I'm ready to pounce. (laughs) Like There's nothing holding me back from pursuing that. It's just waiting for the golden opportunity and then doing. So what are you doing to actually make the opportunity come, though? I'm just waiting to... To figure that out to see see what happens so i'm continuing to develop myself outside of work outside of my normal job by teaching classes uh trying to come on as many podcasts as i can speaking anywhere i can so those are just some of the things i'm doing and it's yeah it's a lot it's very much a grind season. So I basically work and then I start doing my, my five to nine instead of my nine to five after I check out of work.
0: Would your ideal be somewhere where you could learn video making, podcasting, content creation, editing, newsletters, social media, like that whole, like that whole public figure media brand type of information wheel?
1: Yeah, that's the goal is just being in an environment that fosters that. But one thing that I've realized at this point in life and just with all the things that come and go is it's very important to be picky about who you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, while I can go to a lot of different places and be successful in my career, I definitely want to be aligned value-wise with faith and family and surrounding myself with those folks because those are the people that I'll turn into. At 24, I'm still pretty moldable, and I realize that, and I think that's advantageous for a lot of reasons, but at the same time, I know I have to put up my own barriers to make sure I'm being molded into the person that I want to be later in life.
0: I would think that some of the books you're reading, some of these authors and public figures would love to have someone like you on their team if there's someone you're reading and you're like i love what this person's saying like i want more of this i want to have them mentor me maybe i could go work for them and maybe it's even for free at first but then they're going to see you're providing so much value they're gonna be like we need to be paying you you're doing so much for us you know
1: yeah that's the value proposition is if you can put out a six month contract saying hey i'll do this for either free or significantly lower than what I make at, at this point, just like enough to pay the bills type thing. You can then create this reputation for yourself and make them realize that, hey, you can be a valuable asset to this company and maybe they wouldn't have taken the chance on you at first if you wouldn't have been able to make that value proposition up front.
0: So you would really do that? You would leave your insurance gig if there was the right Group or person that you could learn from.
1: Yeah. And I say that even though I really love my job. So hopefully. <laughs> and yeah,
0: if they're listening, we're this, you know, I've always said, so I, I've led teams of 100 people for over a decade. And I have written about this a lot on my blog too. A good leader wants their people to flourish and go on to bigger and better things. Because if you're a leader and your people are all learning and growing, they're going to grow out of your organization. But guess what? They're going to go out into the world and be evangelists for you and your organization because you helped them grow. Nothing's worse than the companies that try to hold their people in and don't let them go out for fear that they won't be able to replace them. I can promise you, if you're a leader that's developing people and giving them dreams and hopes and helping them discover who they really are and letting them try new positions and new things to see where they really have talents and skills and they leave, you're going to be able to replace them because everyone is going to want to work for someone like you. That's the dream boss. And so I just believe in the abundance mindset of leadership As if you give to your people, they will give back for however long you have them. It may be six months, maybe two years, maybe 10 years and it will come back. And so don't worry about it.
1: Oh, 100%. An evangelist, especially if they end up developing a wide sphere of influence is almost more valuable than maybe what that one person could be. And that ties into why I want this lifestyle so badly, uh, because I realized that being able to spread this message of being free with your finances, feeling good with money Ultimately positions more people to feel the way I feel and make the impact in other people's lives. And this is what I've tagged. I don't know if someone else has taken it, but I've called this the compound interest of people. What message can I share that would so deeply impact someone else's life that they then go share it with others and help them be more invested with uh, their, their faith, their family, their church, their work. And that's what I see by being able to share that message full time.
0: The compound interest of relationships. That's pretty good. I'm going to go buy that domain and and, uh, <laughs> like, and I'll
1: sell it back to you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Check that. You got me, now you got me curious. I got to check that after this before compound. the podcast goes. Down.
0: I'm just writing that down because I, I think it would be a book I'd be interested in reading. And there's a book by Keith Ferrazzi and it's Never Eat Alone. It's very much just relationship driven and just, I just actually read a book by Dory Clark called The Long Game and in that she talked about relationships also, but just having relationships for relationship sake and not, a, not like I want to meet this person so they can help me do this. It's more so I want to meet this person because they're interesting and I like what they go, have going on and those are the types of people I want to surround myself with and you do that and things will they will want to help you and you'll want to help them but it's a it's a mind switch it's like i like this person and what they're up to i want to spend time with them instead of i want to basically just like trade with them like i'll give you this you give me this like that's such a weak way to have a relationship
1: is such an applicable thing to this season of life cuz i'll be transparent i was really bad and still am bad at creating deep relationships I don't know if you've heard the strengths thing, but there's uh, one of their strengths called WU, which stands for winning over others. And basically what that means is you meet somebody, you learn everything that you think you have to know about them, and then you're off to the next. I realized, I kid you not, two months ago, and I've read a decent amount about it at this point, that that doesn't foster the things that I want with the people that I surround myself with and that's not advantageous to me in the long run. So now I plan out when I'm calling people to have conversations about nothing, no goal, just talk, just understand what's going on in their life, and that has led to more realizations, uh, more deep conversations than I'd had previously, all because I came to that realization of, hey, you should maybe stop going to the next, to the next, to the next, Because while it's good to develop a wide network, if you don't have any depth to that network, it's not going to be super valuable. That is so
0: true. And it takes, and being someone who gets a decent amount of inbound communique for, for contact now from the podcast and the other things I've done, most of those types of requests that I can tell are just weak go right into the archive. I don't even reply because I want meaningful connections and I don't need that many of them. I just read an awesome book by Bob Goff called Dream Big. And he talked about Jesus. And he talked about how he had his inner circle of four. And then he had the outer circle of, of apostles of about, let's just say, it was 12, but let's just say 15 people. How tribally over the years, our tribes were about 150 people. So that Facebook maxes out your friend list at 5,000 people. We're wired for 150. Total tribal relationships, 15 closer. Actually, it's, it's 10. It's like 11. 11 closer and then four super close. Like these are the people that you talk to every day. And yet we try to have 5,000 Facebook friends. It's not going to work. You can't have a deep relationship with that many people. So after I read that in his book, I was like, well, who am I 15? And so I got a piece of paper out and I started writing down not who I wanted my 15 to be, but I looked through my phone at my contact list, I looked through my emails. I looked through my text messages. And I wrote down the people I'm actually talking to the most. And not just through phone, but who I'm actually meeting with in person. And I looked at it and I go, some of these people aren't necessarily who I want in my 15. So I created <laughs> another list. I created a list of who in the 150 would I really love to have closer to me and influencing me more closely. So I put them down. And then I put, who are some people that were in my fifteen that have fallen off over the last year or two for whatever reason. And I looked at these three different lists and just put a lot of thought into it and realized how much I've grown in the last few years based on the people who have came on the list and people that have left, but also how much more I can still be intentional about the people I'm spending my time with. It's still not where I would
1: necessarily want it to be. And you have a a wife to balance in there too. That is a whole nother relationship that you have to focus time on. So you have to make time for that. You have to make time for the 15 and then, well, she's in the 15. She's well, actually, she's in the four, you know? Oh yeah. I guess, sorry. I forgot about the four, but it makes total sense that she would be in the four, if not her own group. But yeah, that's interesting. And now you got me curious if I did the same exercise, who would fall into that? And I say that because after moving from wisconsin to kansas city you realize how difficult it is to keep meaningful connections over distance especially if both parties aren't willing to make the effort and that's been hard to to deal with mentally because when life hits you had those people that maybe you would go talk to at school who are in close proximity But those people might not like texting, might not like calling because that's just not how they connect. So that leads you to search out new people and having to develop relationships rather quickly to have those conversations. So that's something I'm facing immediately because a pandemic working remotely and then moving somewhere totally new, it's hard to find people. So I've just been going to random things. I've started branching out, but man, I still got a lot to do. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because when I first started
0: a list, I was like 15, no problem. But then I was like, okay, this is 15 deep relationships. People that would call me back or call, like, or I could call in the middle of the night and be like, hey, I need to talk or can you come over or something like that. And they would they would answer and they would say yes. That was actually a lot harder. It's not that easy to have that. 15 people in our day and age because of these virtual relationships. And I think it's as great as Zoom is, and we can have these conversations like we're having right now, and you can connect with interesting people from anywhere on the planet. We weren't wired for virtual communication. We were wired for in proximity relationships with physical touch, feeling each other's energy and, and seeing each other's faces and emotions and body language. We have to have relationships in our neighborhood and in our, where we're
1: actually living too i couldn't agree more there because I, I feel that now at this point in time that those are definitely huge huge needs and when you come from college when you're surrounded by people 24 7 into the real world i see why the pandemic and people being split was so detrimental to a lot of students It's because they lost their support system and got thrown back into a house that they may or may not have enjoyed. Hopefully they did, but that was all taken away during some of their biggest developmental times. I don't think about college kids as much as I worry about even younger kids in
0: school who are not learning how to communicate or seeing facial expressions or smiles or... And not being around other kids and, and being at home in the super distracting environment. And uh, I don't really want to talk about it because it's kind of sad. I don't really have a solution. So, but yeah. it's it's just tough. And I just, I agree. It's super important to find relationships that are neighbors, people nearby, people you can just have serendipitous meetings with that. Like, you don't have to schedule two weeks out on their calendar to get an hour. Like, you just run into each other and you can notice if something's wrong and you can say hey do you want to come over and and talk and
1: or and and help them that reminds me of the hallway conversations that a lot of I know you were talking about neighbors so maybe sidewalk conversations is the better analogy but <laughs> i think some of the best ideas some of the best conversations some of the most vulnerability i've experienced out of people is not when we're having a scheduled conversation, but rather when we're passing and I can read what's on their face, their demeanor, how they're feeling. Because usually when someone looks that way, the best time for them to share that information is then so they can start healing from whatever difficult thing that they may be going through. And man, if you're going through a tough time, how awkward would it be if I send you an Outlook invite saying, need to talk, big life thing and then you say oh i'm sorry i'm busy during that that time and
0: i i guarantee david that's happening every day people are pinging people ping out looking for someone who will talk and who will share and who will listen and it's landing on 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 deaf
1: ears like the people aren't replying because of that search they're not focusing on the relationships that do matter that inner circle like we can go chasing after that next person the next relationship because in that moment we need somebody but we're not developing the people that were actually close to us previously so it it's like a, a negative feedback loop i think is the scientific yeah. term it just gets worse this is a, a, a curious topic of mine all the time is The
0: 15 or the four inner circle, being intentional about who those people are. Does that make you, I don't know, like a relationship vampire or something? Like you're just looking for like who the best 15 people are? Or like if you look at your list of 15 and you go, wow, these four people actually don't make me feel very good. Like how do do you, I don't know. I don't know what I'm really asking, but I'm just thinking about how it, it sometimes feels when I was doing the list, it
1: kind of felt like it was about me in a way. So you're saying, am I just friends with this person for my own benefit, and am I actually adding any benefit to their life?
0: That and, like, when I'm evaluating, oh, should this person be on the list? Do I want them on the list? How do you make sure you're evaluating the person the right things and not just on, like, climbing this ladder of success, you
1: know? I think you have to be selfish when it comes to your beliefs and your boundaries, when picking that list and i don't think people that go against your beliefs or your boundaries might not even be on that list you you kind of have to weigh like um like fundamental beliefs you know how you value your faith how you value your relationships i think you have to be picky about that but outside of that i don't i don't think you can be man that's a as I'm walking through this now mentally, I don't think I have a good answer either because in some ways you want to surround yourself with varying opinions. That's important, right? Who you want as someone to fall back on, I'd say you want in alignment with who you strive to be more like. Yeah, you know, I the 15
0: it's not when I was doing it, I wasn't really choosing who I wanted my 15 to be it was like, these are the 15, like the, fa- the facts show, these are the people I spend time with, some of them virtual, some of them person. So then first you do that. And then you go, are these actually the people I want? Like, are these the people that are going to pour love into me and, and, and be honest with me and be there in times of trouble? Or are they not? And that's where like that real self reflection is, is like, oh, I don't have 15 people I can count on, I need to be more vulnerable. I need to put myself out there and I need to go be that person for someone else so I can have a tribe of
1: people. And that brings up a good point, which I think helps solve that problem. I mean, looking at Jesus, he handpicked his disciples and then consciously added value to their lives not only by teaching, but by providing. Maybe the best answer is if you find somebody that you want to surround yourself with, you take that first move to add value to their life and invest time in them and consciously work on that. And then if it doesn't work out, well, clearly it's just a compatibility thing and it's not going to work out. But if it does, you can then keep developing that relationship. Because what I realized as you were drawing that out is that the relationships that we have in our adult life are really not just happenstance. Like They don't just happen unless you're in close proximity. So for those people that you want to dive into, you have to put effort into. You may not like texting, but if you know that the only way to develop a relationship with someone over distance is by texting, you'll text, right? Mm -hmm. You'll do those things that might make you uncomfortable in the moment for the benefit of the relationship and adding value to each other's life. Now,
0: you did make a comment and I went through the same thing. So that's why I noticed when you said it. Do you get a little bit frustrated or disappointed when people you reach out to as soon as you stop texting or calling, you don't hear from them again for months, maybe? Or years. I mean, like are there people if you just stop texting that like you they just wouldn't you wouldn't hear from them again, maybe for years.
1: Yeah, there are those people and I've learned to just realize that, hey, maybe that's not where I should be putting my time. But man, that's that's sad, especially when you have history, uh, when they've been through maybe some of the tough things that you've gone through and looking back and realizing at this point, that doesn't make sense. And that's hard to let go and leads to a lot of heartache. So I'm gonna challenge you on that
0: because I've gone through this and I've brought this up with multiple past guests, including people that I, I know that, we have mutual friendships with like Dr. John Deloney and, um, Zoe Simic. Do you know what they both told me was if you love someone and you want them in your life and the contact pattern is always you engaging, then that's just how it's, that's just how it is for that relationship. And don't put so much reciprocation. Don't make them have to come to your expectations. If, if you have great conversations, when you call them and they don't call you, that doesn't mean they're a bad friend. It just means you need to call them more or something. I don't know, but I'm still struggling with it too, but I just wanted to say that.
1: (laughs) That's tough to hear. I don't like hearing that firsthand because I, well, okay, I think the preface in there of if you're having good conversations when you call them, like can they be present in that moment is different than texting, calling, and not getting the time of day.
0: And would they be there if something really happened and you needed them?
1: Yes, that's another big...
0: Because, you know, Rabbi Daniel Lappin told me, you know, apparently I have this this conversation a lot, so I must be really struggling with it because I am the guy that always initiates conversation. I'm always reaching out. I'm always texting when I think of someone or emailing or calling, and it's constant. I get surprised when it comes back my way. Like when someone reaches out to me randomly, like a friend, that always makes me really happy and rabbi daniel appen said his measure of a friend is someone who would call you back within 24 hours who doesn't who you don't owe money to so if you call them and like you need to talk you leave a voicemail or text and they call you back within 24 hours and you don't owe them money that's a that's a friend
1: i love that added criteria of don't owe money it's so <laughs> yeah, if you owe money they're always <laughs> going to call you back <laughs> they will uh, hmm. Maybe that's a way to, no,
0: that would be a terrible. Like, I think hey, we I need to stop, bucks? like, I think we need to, and this, I'm talking to myself here, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation. Maybe we need to stop rating and evaluating and gauging and, and comparing our friendships and ourselves and our contributions to our friendships and just love these people as they come in and out of our life and
1: leave it, leave it there. And that's where you really start to embody, I would say, Christ does for us, is you give to a relationship with no expectation of return, and that's really modeling that to its perfection. Like, if if we can model that exactly how he lays it out, that doesn't leave us disappointed because there's no expectation for grace.
0: You know, I I think for me, the reason it, frustrates me or, or it maybe frustrates the wrong word maybe it hurts my feelings when i don't get that reciprocation mm-hmm. because like oh do they not love me how i love them like it may for me reaching out is a sign of love like if they're not reaching out to me do they not love me like i love them
1: yes i resonate with that so much because that's how it feels and that's how it's felt as i've matured that's been less like that but mutual reciprocation is it's easy to frame that as they don't love me or appreciate me as much as I love them because I don't see them putting in the effort in ways that I do for them. And that gets into the whole conversation about love language, love languages. I remember one of my, my, um, (laughs) I'll say ex girlfriends. I, I don't have a, have a history past, but she bought me this goat. And it was for a U-goat a male. It was, all it was was a plush goat. It was the, the, that was the whole thing. And she spent 20 bucks on it. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, you could have used this money in such a different way. You could have started paying off your student debt or doing whatever. And in that moment, I didn't realize that she thought of me in that way and did this because that was her showing appreciation to me. Gift-giving is lowest on my love languages from the love language quiz, but looking back, man, if I could just slap myself upside the head, and because I was being a real dummy at that moment, and just taking the goat and made the most of that situation, how different could have things been? So I
0: have a real-life example from last night of this exact thing. Emily wrote me a poem yesterday on Valentine's Day, and she's never done that before. And it was beautiful. And it was so sweet and romantic and kind. And I told her that. But then do you know what I said, like, two minutes later? I said, you know, I think you could have came up with two better words here that would have rhymed a little bit better. Stupid. Why on earth did I say that? I went. I was showering after that. I'm, I'm like, in the shower going, God, what is wrong with me? Like, <laughs> I absolutely loved the thought and the gift, and it was amazing,
1: and I criticized it. Why did I do that? What is wrong with me? I just need uh, like a shoe-in-mouth button because there are so many moments, and I'm getting close to 25, so my prefrontal cortex is almost fully developed. That's exciting, right? So maybe I won't do this as much. I'm 10 years older than you, and I'm still doing it, so... (laughs) There's a lot of folly in your youth and a lot of those moments where you look back and you're like, man, I was just a big dummy at that moment in time and I wish I could I could do that but
0: oh what I'll say to make up for that comment and Emily knows I love her so much. When I look back at my youth and the various relationships I had with women and through high school and my young adult life and I sometimes will analyze, well what went wrong? Like what did I do wrong? So that relationship didn't work or what did I say or what did I do something wrong? And I'm analyzing it. And it's just because I'm like an achiever. And I always want to like figure out what I could have done better. But do you know what I always come back to? The only answer I have to that question, it's because that person wasn't Emily. Like it wasn't my wife. And so those didn't work out because it wasn't Emily. If it was, it would have worked out. And so that gives me a lot of peace to not worry about my past because now I know I have the person that I'm with that I should be with.
1: I yearn for that <laughs> someday because I think there's so much valuable, so much value and just joy in that situation that I know is coming up hopefully later in life, but then you can really start to learn from the experiences, but then realize that the person is also different. So, I I don't know. I can't speak from that perspective, but as someone in my, my season, I'm looking forward to it. That's all I got to say. It's so easy to just beat yourself up because we always
0: want to do better, or at least I do. You talked about the, the strength finder. I have competition and achiever as two of my top themes. Oh, so I yeah. always want to do better and win, and I analyze. I do post-game analysis of conversations and things, and that may be why I tally up friendships sometimes when I shouldn't. And that's one of my weaknesses. It shouldn't be like that, right? It should just be more fluid. And I think it's hard because our relationships are virtual now. If they were in person, people we just saw through life, it would be different.
1: Yeah. And competition, I found, because that was actually my number one, too, from strength, is it's, you have to be very aware of that in relationships and realizing that the pie is big enough for everyone that that's been a hard lesson to learn like i will not get any farther in life by hoping that someone doesn't do as good and i admit that that was something i used to be bad at because you would think that if some person got this opportunity this thing etc that it would somehow negatively impact me but that's not the case and that's never how we should look at it but that's just a bad mindset that i've had to work through and sometimes flares up but you just have to continue suppressing that realizing that if everyone is cumulatively better this world is a better place to live i struggle
0: with that too and it's if someone else wins sometimes i go oh, man, like, that means I can't. But you can. Like, we all, there's abundance. We can all win and achieve things. And we should stop looking at someone else's roadmap and just pay attention to our own. And if anything, just forget about yourself. I mean, this is, like, my dream completely forget about myself and just prop up others and help them achieve their dreams and if you do that you're gonna be taken care of too and if that's a much better way to look at life than just worrying about winning yourself
1: that's the compound interest of people that's it propping up others to do work that you couldn't uh that's why i get so passionate about it is because if you can positively impact another person to help them do more work, more whatever, more impact, that influence far exceeds anything that we could do selfishly. Well, and look at, we talked about examples from the Bible. Jesus really
0: poured into 12, and then they went out and poured into a million. He didn't, like, sometimes I get a little bit disappointed my podcast isn't bigger, and I look at people like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan or my friends James Altucher or Ben Greenfield, and I go, man, they have these awesome... These awesome audiences they can pour into, but you only need twelve. You only need ten. You only need five. Like Jesus was able to
1: spread Christianity and to millions through twelve. And that's where you loop back on your why. Because when you're doing these things for the right impact, one feels just like a hundred thousand. At least in in my world, if that's how I look at it, because ultimately that person was the person that god wanted me to impact and share something with that's what i was called to in that moment if he wants to call me to to be more by all means that that's been my recent prayers god use me however you want to use me make me your vessel to share this to whoever needs to hear it from me not just the financial stuff but about about him then if i'm talking to someone that's someone he wanted me to talk to. So it, I I struggle with that as well because you always wish like, why don't I have a million on TikTok when someone who's a better dancer or whatever has a million on TikTok and I only have 2,000? Uh, so I get that. But ultimately we're put exactly where we need to be to do the work that fulfills his purpose. Do you know what's interesting? And just through
0: this conversation, I've gotten to know you a lot better than I, than I had before. You've got this... Borrowed future, debt-free school, the things that we should have learned in school, how to win with money. And maybe this is just my perspective through this hour-long conversation, and I think it would take a lot of deep reflection on your part. It seems like the relationships between people lights you up more than that other stuff.
1: I like both. It's, a, it's an and thing. I realize that when people get straight with their money, they can be better with a lot of different things. So I've always been good at money. I've talked about money since I was 18 years old. When I first learned about financial peace, I not only knew I wanted to get a debt free degree, but I started going through my, the finances with my mom, calling the cable company, doing things like that. So that's something I'm I'm deeply passionate about. But what I realize is that there's a step further than that. The money is one problem. If we can get that out of the way as a barrier, we can start pointing people to what really, really matters. The mm-hmm. relationships the faith and that walk. But if money is just this big thing hanging over their head, which it is for 90% of Americans. And I know I can help remove that barrier. I will do that till I'm blue in the face because I realize what's on the other side. And maybe that's not the best way to look at it. That makes perfect sense. That's an amazing explanation.
0: So when this episode comes out, you got to take exactly what you just said because you just described it beautifully as far as it's the barrier that prevents you from having these meaningful relationships because you're just playing catch up. You're the slave to the lender. And when you're a slave, how can you really have deep, meaningful relationships with others?
1: Yes, that's all all I will say. There's just so much, but that's why I keep talking about it is because I realize what's on the other side and what's important because well, you know, getting people good money habits can help them be successful in the world the ultimate reality is if we can use this as a another vehicle to push them towards you know faith and that and really taking care of their eternal future that's that's huge and that's more valuable than any lesson i can give with money but the reality is this money conversations foster that conversation
0: do you you think we're having these money conversations enough like should we be talking about with we we're talking about friends should you be talking about your finances and your money with your friends or is that too personal or, or what who should we be talking about money with
1: It's a delicate art of balance and I'm hesitant to just shove it down their throat in a sense like say hey let's talk about your budget buddy as we're off to do a meaningful conversation I don't think that's the way. I think the best way that we can help people understand the impact that this has on them is by showing them how it's impacted us in the way that we live, in the things that we're able to do, in the message that we're sharing, uh, just being an example. And then from there, curiosity is usually peak. When you can say at 24, you're going to be retiring a multi-millionaire, that piques some interest of the how, right? (laughs) And while that's... One way to get there, it's also just realizing like, wow, Hey, your car just like got thrown off a bridge, but you're not worried about buying another one. Cause you have an emergency fund. Why do you feel that way? So I think that's the best way. I don't think you can force anyone to it. You just have to live a life that inspires curiosity from others in a, in a world that desperately needs it because the reality is the lifestyle is very countercultural to everything else. That makes a lot of
0: sense and I think you put it beautifully is just be the example for others and then they go well what are you doing differently than me and then that's when you can have the conversation. I think that's that's so true in money conversations that's so true in faith conversations that's so true in health conversations. You can't go out and beat someone over the head with it, they're gonna they're gonna put up a barrier and they won't listen to you at all. They need to come to you. You need to be the example.
1: Yep. I'm I'm not gonna change anybody by telling them that their way is wrong. <laughs> that is the worst way to inspire somebody to change. <laughs> you mean that doesn't work? What? Like yeah, buddy, I'm gonna go take out twelve credit cards right now. Thanks for that advice. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm gonna prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna stop paying this thing and I'll show you. So I'm curious, um what you're up to that we can support you with next and, um, where we can learn more about you and, and just, uh, if, if this really resonated with someone that's listening, how they can get in touch.
1: Yeah. So the best way to get in touch with me is by going to my website. It's I'm davidjwilson.com. So I am D A V I D J Wilson. Uh, so J W I L S O N.com. Uh, There, there's a form to reach out to me directly. There's links to all my social media. Uh, But at this point in life, I'm just trying to spread this message from the mountaintops. So if you could support me by following me on social media, that's appreciated. But if you're in a situation where you have a church organization business that has screened borrowed future and you want someone to go in detail about how to get a debt-free degree, because that's what I do, invite me. And no matter where in North America, hey, I'll go to Mexico, Canada. Uh, We'll make it happen. Uh, I'd be willing to travel that. That's totally free. This is just something I'm so passionate about that I want to do that. So please don't hesitate to reach out. That's what I'm working on. If you're inspired by it, share it with somebody and just keep spreading this message of hope.
0: That's so great. And I, I love your message. And something I wish I heard when I was 15 years old. You know, I wish... It took me a long time to discover what I know now and it's it's I encourage anyone listening to share this with your kids or your neighbors or people that it basically just start wondering if there's alternate ways of living than the way you're living because a lot of the the good rewards in life are contrary to how a lot of people are living.
1: Very much so. Very much so and take that challenge and realize that a different life may not make you a millionaire but i can assure you that the peace and freedom that you'll have by adopting this lifestyle which may sacrifice some earthly things just does so much for not only your mental health but also your spiritual health so take the dive it's simple in concept hard in practice but it's so so worth it
0: thank you so much david for coming on to the show
1: yeah thank you for having me
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at Quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the review And telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show. See you next time.